I remember I landed in the States. I have my two huge suitcases. I barely figure out how to make it to the campus. It's like 11 p.m. I'm jet lagged. I make it to my dorm. I don't have anything. Like, you know, American students, their parents come with them. They help them get set up in the dorm. I just had the bed and I had the little like plastic wrapping from my suitcase that I put on top of that mattress and I just slept on top of it. I had nothing. I had like a box of like sheets and towels I ordered, but they were like to be picked up somewhere else. I was in the middle of the night. So I just like slept on top of the bed, like covered myself with like a jacket or something. That was my first night in the US. I was like, God, what is this? Have you ever wondered what it's like to be behind every single thing you know and start a new life in a foreign country? From my experience, it can be a struggle. On the Newcomers podcast, I'll be sharing my story, as well as the stories of other immigrants. We'll be talking about the joys and struggles of starting afresh. My name is Dozier, and I'm looking forward to being your host. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Newcomers podcast, um, where I chat with immigrants like myself about settling into new countries. Today, I'm with Nino. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm, I'm all right. Pretty excited to do this with you. Um, yeah. Especially because you run something. You run a, something called Imitraka. I want to understand yes. a bit more about it before we even get into the questions. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. So essentially, I'm the co-founder and CEO of a company called Imitracker. Essentially, we're an immigration application tracker and service mm. marketplace for immigrants relocating to leading countries with our current focus being uh, Canada and Australia. So what does that mean? Essentially, if you're somebody that's gone through the immigration process, you kind of know that it's a black box. You send off your papers and then you kind of sit there and hope and pray the government's going to get back to you at some point. Uh, And what we built is what we like to call a tech powered, but a community driven platform. Essentially that we have the technology that enables people to enter their application like anonymously. And then they can use this tracker to understand their processing timelines, get analytics, understand how they're comparing to others and when they can hope to hear back. And within this, we're building a marketplace of services that are relevant specifically to newcomers. So whether it's banks, whether it's telcos, um, insurance, mortgage, we're aggregating the best service providers that have the best offerings for newcomers in one place and putting it all there for them. That's exciting. I mean, I can just, I can imagine how helpful that would be because yeah, you're right. Like when you put that form, that application in, it's like, okay, yeah, I've done it. I'm just going to wait. <laughs> <laughs> and then you sit there twiddling your thumbs like this, like waiting and waiting. <laughs> Like you never know what's going on until when you get an email. You're like, you always refreshing your email every morning. You're like, okay, did they send me something today? <laughs> or checking your mail. When back in the day, it was like physical mail, and I was yeah. like, why do you people still use physical mail? <laughs> Horrible. Okay, so let's get into it. Um, I, I usually like to ask like, like, what's the first night like? But I think I'll just ask you, like, so why did you start up something like this? Um, why mm. did you start a business like this? I mean. Con- No, no, it's a good question. And uh, I mean, I'll get into this like by opening up my story just a little bit because I I had an ongoing joke at some point that I was essentially like a serial immigrant because I moved to three different countries in less than 10 years. And that was a pain. And I did paperwork for each of those countries. So first I moved to the US and I had my study, study visa. Then I moved to South America, Colombia on a company based work permit. Then I moved to Canada on a company-based work permit, and then I went through my immigration process in Canada by myself. So that's a lot of paperwork I was handling over the course of a few years. And especially when it came to my own permanent residence application, 
I had no idea like how long it was going to take. And I became really passionate about the immigration process during that time because it was just so complicated. So I started my first business, which was just a, it was an employment service marketplace, essentially to help people connect with employment opportunities in Canada. Then I merged that business into this current one where my co-founder and I are doing both the marketplace of general services for immigrants and the tracking. And why specifically the tracker? So I've actually used this product before. It was built by one of our advisors. We acquired it. We're building into a startup now. And I was one of the users of this thing when I was applying for my permanent residence for my PR card and for my citizenship. So I know exactly why it's helpful, how it supported me throughout my process where I was sitting there like this, like, like when am I going to get my papers? And then I was like, okay, everybody's taking this long. It's fine. Calm down. And it really helped me get the peace of mind. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's key. So kind of digging a bit into you moved three countries in 10 years. Yes. Okay. Correct. <laughs> Let's go back to the first one. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it was a plan, mind you. Like, I wasn't, like, setting out being like, oh, I'm going to country hop right now. Like, that wasn't the plan. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll start. So, I don't know how young you were when you moved. Um, I was 17. Starry-eyed, sold on the American dream, as many of us have been. And growing up in Georgia, back in Eastern Europe, we all... Like for us, the epitome of success, the kids that wanted to go abroad was like to get into a good American university, right? Like, and it was highly competitive. Like they said, we're talking about smart kids here with really good SAT scores, perfect English, lots of extracurriculars. Like if we were American based, like we would have done phenomenal, but we had to compete with this very, very like uh, competitive pool from all over the world. So I got lucky enough to be accepted to a university that gave me a scholarship and there I was, two suitcases, like study study visa, flying over to the U.S. But obviously, when I was making this journey, I was thinking of building a life abroad because I was already kind of sold on the idea of I'm looking. Maybe I would go back to Georgia one day. Maybe not. I didn't know. But I wanted to build something abroad. Yeah. So that was step one. Step two is I'm not sure how familiar you with the complexity of the U.S. immigration system, but it doesn't really it's not it doesn't really favor immigrants that are doing things. Actually, it doesn't favor any immigrants, but it especially doesn't favor immigrants that are doing things like legally, like going through education in the U.S. and like getting a I had a job offer, a good, well-paying job offer. I had a company that was sponsoring my work visa. And it's still a lottery process that you have a 30% chance of winning. So mm-hmm. didn't get the visa. And they were like, well, two options. Either you quit or we relocate you somewhere. We can get you a visa right now. And that's how Colombia happened. Mm-hmm. Um, relocated to Colombia on that visa. And then they brought me back to North America, to Canada on another visa. And that's essentially a summary of it. How? So, you know, let's talk about that 17-year-old Nido <laughs> flying into the U.S. Like, what was the first week like? So it was interesting because when I was a little kid, my parents lived in the U.S. for a year and I, that's where I picked up my English. That's why I don't particularly have an accent. Like I knew I was lucky from that point of view. Then I went back to Georgia and fully like grew up in Georgia, finished school there, everything. Mm-hmm. But I thought to myself that I had a good understanding of the American culture. You know, like I read books in English. I watched like English is essentially my first language. I watched movies, all of that. And then I landed the U.S. and I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> Like, I understand everything perfectly. Like, on paper, I understand it. But the actual experience of, for example, walking into a real Walmart in a rundown city, 
that is never transmitted through any TV show. I was like, what is this? <laughs> what are these people? Why is this place so strange? And I remember I landed in the States. I have my two huge suitcases. I barely figure out how to make it to the campus. It's like 11 p.m. I'm jet lagged. I make it to my dorm. I don't have anything. Like, you know, American students, their parents come with them. They help them get set up in the dorm. I just had the bed and I had the little like plastic wrapping from my suitcase that I put on top of that mattress and I just slept on top of it. I had nothing. I had like a box of like sheets and towels I ordered, but they were like to be picked up somewhere else. I was in the middle of the night. So I just like slept on top of the bed, like covered myself with like a jacket or something. That was my first night in the US. I was like, God, what is this? Um, Then it became a little bit easier because one, I was in university and two, I befriended a lot of international students and like it is a trap you fall into as an international student to frequently stick to those of your kind. But I find it that was easier to build like the deeper like Mm. friendships with them because they understood you at a level that although I had a lot of American friends, we just weren't able to connect at that point. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, actually. I mean, it's just someone who I moved here pretty abdominal school, done everything. But it still feels like it still feels like when you meet your fellow immigrants, they just get you. Yeah, and it doesn't matter which country from. Like you just have a similar like thing. Yeah, they just get you. Like they just everyone can talk about stuff. It's it's. I don't know if there's a theory or a term for it, but they just get you. And I can imagine for students who are pretty much younger. It's even more important. Yeah, it's even more important at that age because then you're struggling with, like, who am I in all this going on here? Like, everything's moving so fast for you, and you're like, okay, I'm just gonna go to the safest harbor I can find, which is usually people who, when I say to them, like, I'm struggling to understand why Walmart is like this. They're like, yeah, me too, I am. know like you're just walking in and you're like what is going on why is this like so weird and then there's a lot of like I don't know there's like customs and things like that like I again I'm very deeply ingrained in the American culture I understand it very well I just don't know if I fully applied it to myself like a hundred percent you know when did when did it kind of first hit you that you ain't home like when did it first hit you probably when I was sleeping on that mattress that was covered with the plastic wrap (laughs) probably that i'm like oh my god i was so comfortable at home like i'm an only child like my parents are great i had like nothing for say to complain about there but i was like i want to venture out on my own always want to go go do things on my own so i'm actually happy i did that but that first night i'm like sleeping on the mattress i'm like oh my god what have i done (laughs) it was good the first i think the first two three days especially because international students had to show up earlier so i didn't know anybody and we arrived early I think those were the toughest ones where I was just like wandering around being like, what is happening? Mm. But then as soon as I started meeting people, I realized there's other people going through the same thing as me. And then like more people started showing up, like just general students. It it became easy. Then you just kind of get like swallowed up into that student life. And that's why I think actually going abroad as a student is so, so helpful because mm. you like immediately get sucked into that culture. You mm. just automatically have to make connections and mm. it really makes this transition process a lot easier. Mm. Mm. I, I would I would agree actually, because you also, like we moved, me and my wife moved with two kids. I'm not with a kid, but we had one here. 
This movie mm-hmm. with the kid changes the game for you. You're so like, difficult. Like, yo, okay, yeah, I need to find school for the kid. You're worrying about how's the kid settling in. Okay, like, how are they gonna make friends? Yeah, like, are they exactly. gonna fit in culturally? Yeah, yeah. Because and then we had to move schools like two times for him because we stayed in a friend's house first, and then he loved the school. We had to move for another school, um, because we now got our own place, and then he had to now leave the his his favorite teacher that he had just found to go to a new class. And getting there, and then he struggled there for a while. Then we now moved after a year to Calgary, and he had to move schools again. But I feel like we were now lucky here because he now got a really good teacher who just kind of helped him just assimilate pretty easy. Like we now, but we we were saying to ourselves that he just started settling in, which is crazy. He's he's six now. He just start, it feels like the past one year here. That's where he started settling in. No, that's exactly how it was, and actually. It's funny that you brought up the age. So the when I moved to the States with my parents, I was five. So I did like the end of tail end of kindergarten and first grade in the US. And then they brought me back to Georgia. <laughs> I was like, I don't even speak Georgian anymore. Like I completely forgot it. Like Georgia is a completely different language, right? A different alphabet. So my mom literally had to sit down two weeks before the start of second grade in Georgia and teach me the goddamn alphabet. I couldn't speak. Whoa. It was like a double like in, like immigration as a kid. And I think that had a very huge impact, mind you, because because I learned English at that age, I think like I actually think more and write more in English yeah. than I ever did in my native language after that experience. Yeah. It's interesting how the things yeah. that those kids do changes how their life. Fully. <laughs> and funnily enough, I went back to the same state that I went, so I lived in Boston, Massachusetts, and then I went back for university to Massachusetts. <laughs> so it brought, brought me back. Yeah. It kept on calling you all that while. I was like, hey, come back. Nino, come back. Actually, come back. It, it did. I felt like I had something unfinished there, you know? Like, I was like, I, then wow. when I was leaving the, when I was leaving after, I was like, okay, I, I did what I had to do here. You know, I went to university. I lived in Boston again. Like, I, I closed this. Yeah. So, now I was gonna I was gonna ask you like the, the cultural differences, but seeing you've moved across from Boston to Colombia to Canada, so have you handled the transitions both from a cultural perspective? Yeah, because I can just imagine like Georgian <laughs> to the American, American to Colombian, Colombian to Canadian. Like, what's very it been like all through? Like, that's very interesting. So I like to call myself a little bit of a chameleon, and that's for mm-hmm. two reasons. One. Um, I pick up languages pretty easily, always have. So I actually do speak some Spanish. I, I forgot a little bit now, but I was pretty fluent when I lived in Colombia. And the second of all, it's like Georgians were just such an interesting mix that we can pass off for like many nationalities. So people can't like look at me and go like, oh, like you're Scandinavian. Like they, they can never tell. I get the randomest. People think I'm Middle Eastern, Latino, Greek, whatever it is. And I'm like, yeah, that works for me. I'm never going to tell you. You figure it out. <laughs> Uh, so it was helpful for me to kind of blend in in most of those places. So America, obviously, I went to university there, already had the language, really quickly picked up all the customs. So that was simple. In the States, I actually really started liking Spanish because a lot of people speak Spanish there. I had a lot of Latino friends in undergrad, mm-hmm. still do. And when the opportunity for Colombia came up, I already knew some in advanced Spanish. And I was like, oh, this is a good opportunity for me to, you know, really dive into the culture. It was an adjustment. It was a huge adjustment because uh, when I say nobody spoke English there, I mean nobody spoke English there. Like you want to get your phone, 
You want a SIM card, right? You want a bank account. You want to get your first debit card, whatever. Nobody's speaking. Your first work contract, everything is in Spanish. So the first three months for me were like rapid fire Spanish. Like I was like all Google Translate all day about to cry because I had no idea what was going on like 80% of the time. It's not like I didn't speak the language, but like the terminology, you know, like it's one thing when you learn and another thing is like specific words. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't remember what a word for like bottle opener was, for example. I remember now, but like it was, I didn't know then. So I just walk around the supermarket constantly like Google translating things. And the work culture was very different. In the U.S., it's very aggressive. It's very direct. It's very like, go, go, go. Latin America's like, go. we're gonna go for coffee for like two hours and maybe if i like you we're gonna figure out how we're gonna work together you know and like it's just the whole thing but i would say towards the end of my one year there i was actually very comfortable like i spoke the language well i already had a few friends i actually started learning french there because i was like oh might as well go explore and just as i hit that point of comfort just as i was hitting that one year mark i moved to canada damn (laughs) i know uh canada wasn't that different honestly like it was i have you only lived in canada or have you lived in the u.s as well no i haven't really lived in the u.s canada just canada yeah mm-hmm. and in canada just calgary or other cities so too lived in ottawa then we lived in calgary then but i walk in the u.s i work with americans so i kind of get this difference between the canadians and the americans yeah it is and i learned uh, the concept of uh the different work culture within canada and america very quickly Americans are very direct. Yeah. Canadians are not. Nah. You can't just call people out. (laughs) Let me let me tell you a funny story. So tell me. Whenever I ask my son stuff, he says not really. I don't understand. I I was I was confused. (laughs) He's just six. Then it kind of clocks. They're like, gosh, this boy is going Canadian fully already. Because he means no when he says not really. But (laughs) he doesn't say no directly. I was like, okay, this is crazy. Like, do you want this? Not really. He's actually saying no to you, but he's just not really. So he doesn't want to offend you. Yeah. And I'm like, gosh, I'm like, so different. Like, the cultures are so different. Like, (laughs) no, America would straight up be like, no. Yeah. No, I don't want that. Yeah, like, America, I would even say, I mean, depending on the states, southern states are a little bit different, but I was in Boston. Like, Boston's not exactly known mm-hmm. for its uh, gallantry and politeness, so to speak. There's a reason they have a lot of nicknames around there. No, I get it. And the thing is that uh, I was just getting used to the Latin American work culture, which is, like, also not as direct. It's a lot of conversation, a lot of fluff that you have to do there. And then I come to Canada, which is somewhat like a a little bit more of a middle ground, although more Americanized. And it was so surprising to me. I had a situation where instead of my manager expressing something to me that like she didn't like, she went through another manager who she just knew that I had a closer relationship with so that he came to me and directly told me her concern. She would just give me glares from across the table. And I was like, why don't you just say to me? Say it to me, like, I, isn't that the whole point if you're a manager to tell me that? Like, and she just wouldn't express it. But what I didn't like about that environment, because I, I work proper corporate for over a year, actually both in Vancouver and Calgary, um, they just would always beat around the bush. But they would also go behind you and go complain about you and get you in trouble without telling you. 
Yeah. You might know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Canadians are. That's very Canadian. <laughs> I mean, I'm hoping that over time, it's just because it's becoming very, a very multicultural country. Yes. I I do think that a couple of love that will change or adapt in a way over time. Um, Especially in the cities like your Toronto's, yeah. your Calgary's, your Vancouver's. Um, yeah. Montreal isn't like that already. Yeah, Montreal. Montreal is very European, by the way. So already, I know. It's, yeah, it's very European. They have a different approach. So, how easy was it to adopt across the three cultures, like considering all the changes? I think the easiest one for me to figure out was Canada, only because I already had both America and Latin America under my belt. Yeah. The hardest one was Colombia, because that was just not an short amount of time Mm -hmm. language barrier on top of it i didn't have a language barrier in canada or the states uh so canada was definitely the easiest one and i think one of the things that you touched upon the multicultural aspect Mm -hmm. especially when i moved to toronto which is so diverse i really found people that i could call my own you know yeah yeah Yeah, that really helped yeah i think it was same for us because we lived in ottawa first we just had a little community of people i mean we had a couple of really close friends mm-hmm. and then we moved to calgary and it just kind of just clicked like because then it's just, there are more immigrants here like i used to joke yeah. with people that on my street there's probably no caucasian on my street like what so, part of calgary are you in like yeah, in which corner northwest northwest ah northwest i worked yeah. in the northeast uh barrow oh. drive yeah oh yeah it's close that's a bit close to my place so we should yeah. have like i live beside I, my my neighbor on my right is a nigerian after that is a someone from afghanistan opposite me is a korean beside all me over venezuelan like nobody's yeah. that canadian canadian yeah exactly like it's interesting Ethiopian, chinese japanese like it's so diverse like my kids, my kids, Kumon is run by, I think it's a Chinese or Japanese lady. I'm not sure. The like you, you, you so it's like we used to joke. Like my kid's school, the school he is in now, we used to joke that his former school in, in Ottawa, he didn't have anyone like him. Like it was just him in the class. Like he was just the only colored kid in the class. And wow. then he comes here and then just tons of different kinds of people, and he's like. You have taught like in his class, just his class, he has like six other colored kids or seven other colored kids. I'm like, that's a huge difference for the child because the child comes in and at least because kids, it's so quick how they pick it up. My friend's kid who's like seven comes back and says, Hey, mom, I'm brown. And where she's coming from, she's just the only brown kid. There's no brown, there's just we're people. Then you come somewhere and then suddenly you're like, Okay. Suddenly you get a label. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You and, get a label. And you're like... <sighs> if it makes you feel any better, when I was five and uh, my parents, they were first living in a suburb of Atlanta, Athens. I didn't know any English. So they just tossed me into kindergarten with me not speaking a single word. I think I got on the school bus and I saw all these kids. I didn't understand. I think I just started crying. Because I was just, I, I was this like little girl who like went to a small kindergarten with maybe 10 other Georgian kids, didn't speak any language. And then like I go there and I'm just crying. Like I'm sitting in the corner because I was the only kid that was 
foreign there. And like, it wasn't even a matter of diversity. Like at the suburb of Atlanta, you had like a mix of all kinds of kids, right? It was more of like, culturally, I was the only one that wasn't from there. But then within two weeks of me just being there, I picked up the language. Yeah. Because that's at that age, you just pick it up yeah, so kids quickly. Are, kids roll different from uh, from adults. Like kids roll really different from adults. Yeah. So, what's been your biggest culture shock so far? Well, the work thing has definitely always been a culture shock. Like how different, um, how different countries work. I think another one is we touched about this in the beginning is um, friendships, and the depth of friendships that you can get. Mm. So I've. I have close friends, mind you, from all over, right? Like I have Americans, I have Canadians, I have people that have moved, I have people that are all over the world, Georgians, Latinos, whatever. But my closest friendships, like the people that I talk to frequently, are all of the people that have a similar background to me. In the sense that like they're not from my country necessarily, but mm-hmm. we went to university abroad or we immigrated at a certain age. Mm-hmm. Or like it's just something about like we understand supporting each other. Yeah, that I haven't been able to get that support from people that are from here. And it's not necessarily that they don't want to give it. They just don't, they don't understand how to have that depth of a friendship. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm just thinking back of my two years here so far and <laughs> it's pretty similar. You meet a fellow immigrant and you all just understand. Like it's just an unspoken thing of like, I need, like, if you have a close friend who is, a, doesn't matter which country they're from, but you're like, I am dealing with things coming crashing down. Mm-hmm. And frequently, you guys are alone here, okay? You came here with a family. Many of us just come here entirely yeah. on our own. Yeah. And it's like, we form these little, like, bonds and connections that we kind of have in order to support each other. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, um, I had a very funny coincidence. So I befriended another Georgian guy here in Toronto. We met randomly. And then it turns out that he has a similar setup. Like him and his uh, Ukrainian roommate are really close friends. And like I have a Ukrainian roommate that we're really close friends. So then apparently we have like the exact same system of like almost a little family of supporting each other throughout. And like, I, it was so similar back when I was at the university as well. I had very close Venezuelan friends and Pakistani friends. Like we were just like this one family, you know? Mm-hmm. So the one other question I have for you is, so have you ever regretted doing this, like moving across or just even regretted living in one of these countries at all? So not really. I'll, okay, double-edged sword. I never regretted moving because I understood that in order for me to kind of fulfill my full potential, live the Mm -hmm. life that I want to live, I have to live in one of these Western countries because there's just simply more opportunity. Let's be real here, right? Like imagine building a business in Nigeria and building a business in Canada, like completely different different. hurdles. So I always knew that I was doing the right thing by working on figuring out my immigration. That being said, do I frequently get moments where I just like, I don't know, look at an old photo or talk to my parents who I haven't lived with for over 10 years and they're getting older with each year? Uh, or whenever I go home and I meet friends and acquaintances and whatnot, like things that I, and I go back frequently, I go back pretty much every single year. I still have a life there that I kind of nurture a little bit every time I go back and then I leave it. So that has always been a, balancing act for me because i always thought what would life have been like if i'd gone back 
or like what would have been like if I had stayed and kind of you know maintained something yeah. that I already had there rather than like you know for ev- fighting for every single thing here mm-hmm. and uh it's not necessarily regret it's almost like a wistful thought in the back yeah. of my head yeah yeah because and it's a question you're never going to fully answer I think yeah Just you can't yeah should I should I not why should I go back should I stay <laughs> And, like, there's immigrants that come from different walks of life, right? Like, there's immigrants that come from, let's say, maybe a refugee case and they need the extra support. They can't go back. But I find a lot of us that come to Canada, we frequently come with, like, you know, decent backgrounds. We're usually well-educated. We have jobs. We have decent families. Like, it's not like we're necessarily fleeing, per se. We're just moving for better opportunities. So, for us, it's definitely an opportunity cost and a weighing of, like, what am I giving up? Yeah, yeah. I think you you stay in that you stay in that state of wondering, okay, yeah, you probably have more opportunity. Was it worth it? You know, the because you need to start building new um, communities. You need to start building... Connections. New, new connections. You need to you talk to your parents. I mean, my mom is late, but I talk to my father and like he's like, you know, like you can't see. You've not seen this man in like two... I've not seen my property for two years. And I was saying, you know what? Next year I have to start try to see if I can see him at least once a year. Go back for like a month or something like that. But also going back for a month, you're taking a huge chunk out of your life here. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. You travel and you're like, okay, you want to, oh no, it's, it's such a, it's such a dance. Like, I guess I think it's like a dance. You keep straddling that line, left in line, almost like a trapeze artist with on the bike. Should I, oh, am yeah. I going to fall off? Oh, no, no. I think I can stay a bit. It's just... And then factor in the flights that you have to buy and the distance <laughs> oh, that you have to fly. You have a family, my man. You're talking 2K per ticket minimum for three people. Four people. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, does this thing, I, this conversation I always have with immigrants where I talk about the survival mentality where immigrants fall into. I just want to get get your thoughts on that. Um, because I feel like most immigrants come in, especially first-gen immigrants, um, and I, I would dare say you're one, first-gen immigrants come in and then just trying to survive, you know. And I wonder, I'm trying not to be leady with my question, but I wonder where, like, what works or what gives. Um, do you try to survive or do you try to build? Or do you try to what's the word um almost like still survive or relax at the same time it feels like mm, yeah. i think i can understand what you're getting at yeah um good question so me being me and this is kind of both of it's a strength and a fault of mine i don't really like acknowledging weakness or talking about it for me it's always like go 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 and like it like, makes sense like you know i'm in yeah. startups like i even when things are comp like you know things are complicated enough as an immigrant living abroad when yeah. you're figuring things out and i just go ahead and like go like oh let's set some fire to this and also quit my job and uh go freelancing and start a company that i have no guarantee is going to work out like you know it's yeah. for me it's like i always add that extra layer just because who who i am so from my point of view i'm definitely a builder uh but has there been a lot of surviving in the process 
Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there has been. But the way I like to see it is um, I don't think anything worthwhile happens without a little bit of struggle. And I think the fact that I can point a finger at every single time I've had to like struggle throughout this journey and say, this is what helped me learn about this. This is what helped me get my understanding of this process. This will help me get my papers. I think it helps me value a lot more the point that I got to. So there was a lot of surviving along the way, but I still consider it building. It was building my, it was building my career. It was building my startup. It was getting my paperwork. It was the whole time I was building towards something. Hmm. It's almost like finding the balance in between because you can, you can end up falling into the trap of just trying to survive and then you raise your head up one day and you're 50 or 60. You've spent all your life just basically running the race that never really ends. Um, it never ends. You're always going to find the next milestone. Listen, you can stabilize, right? Like I made a conscious decision to not be as stable right now because I'm working on something I'm very passionate about. But I could, you know, I have a degree in tech, could have a tech job, I could be stable. But like, I will most likely, unless I make a very huge amount of money, I will most likely still not be as stable as somebody that was born and raised here, right? I have a real estate to purchase. Have you looked at prices? I live in <laughs> Toronto. Like, uh, I have parents back home to think about. You know, I have a life to build here. Like, I will still have more hurdles when it comes to these things. So I just have to be more creative about solving these problems. That is, that's just a fact of it. It can't change the reality. Yeah. Yeah, very true. <laughs> You're like, yeah, <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. Honestly, like, it's almost like your friend said to me some days ago, like, she's like, Josie, I'm past 40. So I'm going to get a house now because I have to do that now or else I'm probably not going to get it again because I don't you still be paying mortgages when I'm 80. 70, 80. Like, with all the prices are good, I'm like, like, yeah. Whew. But that's it. <laughs> No, it's that. Listen, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Like you're dealing with things as like, for you, like you moved with family. Most of us, we're trying to figure out career, real estate, um, personal life, everything at the same yeah. time, while also being living in a melting pot and being a melting pot yourself. Yeah. Like it's it's all like every single problem you tackle creatively, essentially. Yeah. Now, considering how often you've moved across countries and live in different cities do you think you ever stop feeling like an immigrant or just from your experience where you are right now it's a very good question honestly i don't even know what i feel like <laughs> like i think i my friend and my georgia friend and i were joking about this uh the other day, there's a song that goes like, everywhere I go, I'm a foreigner. So whenever I go back home, I'm not necessarily 100% Georgian oh, anymore. Like, listen, I've been gone since I'm 17, right? Like, I do not necessarily think like they do. I can I can turn it on, but by default, I don't anymore. Here, I would say I'm pretty Canadianized at this point. You know, I have no trouble fitting in, but I definitely do some things very differently, have different mm -hmm. value systems for me. So I think I'm like a 50-50 mix of like being Canadian and being Georgian. And I think I'm not 100% here and 100% there yeah. either. 
but I'm comfortable living here, which is all that matters. So the, to answer your question in a longer, long form short, uh, I think you're never going to stop feeling like you're a little bit different. But I think that's also fine because do you want to fully kind of shut down that part of you? Because yeah. I know people that have done that. I know people that have fully shut down a certain aspect of themselves that is the original country that they came from and 100% dove into being American or being Canadian. And they're much more ahead of it than I am, for example, that they're much more Americanized or whatnot. But like, is it worth it? I don't know. Yeah. I think you bring unique perspectives. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree. It's it's just that feeling of um, the empty. It's almost like there's almost like a space in you that feels like it's never really filled up. Because then you you've left home. Like I was in Nigeria and like late last year, and I was struggling with a couple of things. I'm like, well, yo, you shouldn't be doing this. You you lived here. Like you were born here. But then you just sort of know that you're not really there anymore. But then it still calls on you. Elections are happening. You're thinking about what's going on in your country. And you come to Canada. Okay, this is home now. But still, you still feel like you're not there. You're here, but you're not here. And it's just don't even get me started about the politics aspect of it. <laughs> like, don't, that is an entire like Pandora's box we're not going to open. Because I, like, I read the Georgia news. I get triggered. I put it down and like, listen, there's, a, I, I'm involved in Canadian news now, you know, I read about it. I can finally vote. Like I care, but I think the, like the, you know, the trigger that happens. Yeah. Oh. It doesn't happen to me here. I agree. <laughs> like there are certain things when I read Georgia news, I'm like, Oh my God. Like that trigger. I don't think I, I don't know if I'll ever have that kind of trigger for like, I, I care about Canadian politics quite a lot these days, but nothing like whenever i read news about eastern europe i'm like oh yeah okay so like the last question i have for you is like what's the one thing you would have done differently when you look back on your journey so far uh i actually have thought about this a lot myself so if uh i i don't know if i have like a no i i have an answer i think what i would have done better is that obviously i left really young Right. I left seven when I was 17. I started planning for it when I was 16. There's so many things I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. I wish I had more information going into this whole journey. Like there is a few, couple of mistakes I made with my university application process. There's, I think maybe choosing America initially wasn't the best option either. Could have gone to a country that was a little bit more friendly towards staying after like Canada or in Australia or even maybe a UK and I think that being so dead set on the American dream, because like I said, how we grew up, that was what was yeah. sold to us when we were kids. That really informed a lot of my decision making at the time, which I'm not sure was the best track. Do I regret going that way? No, because I got a lot of valuable experience out of it. But would it have been a little bit easier for me if I had maybe come to a university, started in Canada immediately and stayed here? I think so. Because I think it would have helped avoid that huge chunk of struggling and moving around in the middle. On the other hand, that really helped me become the person I am today. So it's not necessarily a regret, but I think I would have been interested to see who that Nino would have turned out to be. <laughs> yeah, like they say, like every path is a choice, right? You take a path and everything just changes. And then you just accept the path you're on and just leave it. Yeah, exactly. All right. 
this has been amazing. Thank you so much, Nino. No problem. Um, I loved, love chatting with you about this. No, it was a great conversation. Thank you. Yeah.